today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. If you don't, the words will be on the screen, but let's stand for the reading of God's good word. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Hear the word of our Lord. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now say, I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word declares that all men are like grass. All our glories like the flowers of the field, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But your word, O oh Lord, your word stands forever. May this be the word that is faithfully preached today. We recognize that unless you speak, nothing of any true significance will be spoken. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Paul starts off verse 6 with some strong language. This is actually some of the strongest possible language he can use. I am astonished. I'm shocked. He's saying, I can't believe what I'm hearing is happening. He said that you are so quickly, quickly deserting him. Now this word here for quickly deserting. We often find that young believers, the Bible will speak of the church being made up the body of Christ, were described as those who are born again. If a person has trusted the good news of Christ, that's some of the language used, and for an infant they grow to maturity. And here we have churches that are filled with very young Christians. And they are easily, more easily deceived. And that's one of the things we all have to be on guard against. We can easily be deceived. And he's writing to these young believers. They have some fragility to them. They're fragile because they can easily be tricked. And Paul is shocked. This reminds us of the story in the Old Testament. God works a huge miracle leads his people to freedom by trusting the blood of the Lamb. The Red Sea parts. They walk across. They come to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. And the people become so impatient that they build a golden calf. They quickly desert the Lord their God. And any of us, none of us should think ourselves not susceptible to deserting the truth. 
And Paul is astonished that they are so quickly turning from this so soon. This word for deserting, it means turning. It can also be translated as transferring one's allegiance. You're loyal to one thing and then you switch. I grew up in a very um, small town in the United States, in the state of Kentucky. And our state doesn't have a lot of things going well. It's actually a state that struggles. But here's the thing that we're most known for. We love the game of basketball. If, you're, if you lived in the state I grew up in, you could talk to anybody, and they want to talk about basketball. In fact, if you don't know something about basketball, you would have trouble talking to people because that's what they want to talk about. And when I was in college, the college I went to is known as one of the very best basketball schools in the nation. But yet we had been struggling. And they hired a new coach, and this coach's name was Coach Rick. And we loved him. He was a great coach. He took us all the way to being the best team in the entire nation. But then he did the unthinkable. He left our school and went and coached our biggest rival. He changed his allegiance. And everybody who loved this man, he was the hero of the state. And now he's coaching the rival. He's coaching the enemy. And we're looking at that can't be. And you felt some hurt and some pain in that. Now, I don't know how many of you are sports fans or root for players and teams, and you see them switch and you go, oh, they went to another team. But that's a little bit of what Paul's feeling, only probably more intensely than any of us feel it. There's an intensity. He's going, you have abandoned, you've turned from the gospel, and you've gone somewhere else. Paul's been teaching, and look who it says. It says, you are so quickly deserted him. It doesn't say you've quickly deserted the church. It doesn't say you've quickly deserted the brothers and sisters. It doesn't say you've quickly deserted the Bible. It says you've quickly deserted him, meaning Jesus Christ. That's the focus. Christianity. It's not merely a set of beliefs that we have. It's not a, a set of lofty ideas from Scripture. We have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus. We talk to Him. We pray to Him. When we're hurting, we cry out to Him. When we're joyous, we give praise to Him. When we are sick, we come to Him for healing. When we don't know what to do, we open the Scriptures and say, Speak, Lord Jesus. We have a relationship with him. And that's what they're deserting. They're deserting the very person of God himself, Jesus Christ. And it says he called you. Do you know that Jesus called you? He's the one who said, hey, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he calls us. And look at what they're doing. Called us by the gospel of grace. You're going to hear that word a lot. Grace. God's unmerited favor. You did nothing to deserve it. 
As soon as you think you've done something to deserve it, it's no longer grace. Grace is free. It's unmerited. And look at what they've gone to. They're turning to a different gospel. That should cause us to pause. In fact, that's the one thing that we should have a fear of, both in our lives and the lives of the church. What is the number one thing that a pastor, that the elders are called to do within the church? We're called to lead, feed, and protect. We lead through the power of the gospel and point people to Jesus. We feed people the truth of God's word and who Christ is. We protect the purity of the gospel. And as soon as a church roams from the gospel, they are in trouble. That's my number one calling is to say there's one gospel and it is glorious. We do something we don't normally do, but I don't want you to forget this. Look at the person next to you and say, don't turn to a different gospel. Just remind them, say, don't turn to a different gospel. We don't need to do that. I want you to remember this. If you, if you forget everything I've said today, which you may, it's okay. Don't forget this. Don't you turn to a different gospel. I have four points in our message today, and they'll form one big sentence. First point, if you have your bulletins, we see a distorted gospel. That's what he says in verse 7. He says, not that there is another one. There's one gospel, one God, one gospel. Not that there's another one, but there's some who will trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus. The enemy, he loves to work his way into the church by distorting the truth of the gospel. Do you know where he likes to attack? He likes to attack the leaders. Get them teaching something different. You see, sometimes... We hear the gospel and we think it's just so basic. It's so simple. I'm a sinner separated from God. Jesus lived a perfect life. He took my place on the cross, took my sin, died for me so I can be reconciled to God. Seems very simple. We can believe it right here real easily. And sometimes we go, well, tell me something more. Surely there's something more to this Christianity that I've got to know. Surely there's something I've got to do. Trust the gospel. It's sufficient. It's enough. It's so simple. We want to add to it. It's so simple. We can't believe that that's, that's all. Christ has done it all. He did all the work. Do you remember what he said on the cross in John 19.30? He cries out to Telestai. It is finished. On the cross, he finished the work of dealing with sin. He didn't say, hey, it's mostly finished, but you need to be really good. It's mostly finished, but you need to obey all the commands. It's mostly finished, but you need to be circumcised. It's mostly finished, but you need to do this or that. No, he said it's done. Completed. Paid in full there on the cross. And our flesh just goes, we can't believe that. I've got to add something more. That's just too easy, too simple. And in verse 7, it says that they're troubling. He speaks here in verse 7 to those who are coming. There are some who are coming troubling you. That word for trouble, it's used 
in the book of Matthew, when the disciples are in a boat and it starts to get rocky and they start to get terrified. They're scared on the boat. It's rocking back and forth and they see a ghost walking on the water. If you know the story, you know it's Jesus. They were queasy. They were troubled. That's what's going on in this. Troubling, causing a queasiness and uneasiness. And when you hear a false gospel, it should cause a queasiness, an uneasiness. It should dissettle you. He says they want to distort the gospel of Christ. Look at the person next to you and say, don't distort the gospel. Don't distort the gospel. Hey, church, I love you. This is serious. Don't distort the gospel. Don't preach a different gospel. Anybody into math? Let me give you some simple math. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Don't forget that. Jesus plus anything. You add anything to Jesus. It equals nothing. He's done it all. You are incapable of adding. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Now let me give you some true math. Jesus equals everything. Everything your heart desires is found in Christ. Everything you need is found in Him. Your struggles you can bring to Him. Your hurts you can bring to Him. He cares for you. He loves you. He is sufficient. He is enough. But the enemy tells you this over and over again. Jesus is not really enough. He's not enough in your marriage. He's not enough with your children. He's not enough in your place of work. He's not enough in your job. He is enough. He is everything but the world wants to say Jesus plus, plus, add something, something extra. And that's what they're coming and doing in the church in Galatia. People are roaming throughout these churches. They're saying, yeah, you believe in Jesus? Well, you need to be circumcised to really be saved. You believe in Jesus? You better have some good works to really be saved. You believe in Jesus? You've got to add something to Jesus. And when you do that, you end up with nothing. He is enough. He is sufficient. And these men are being troubled. Distort the gospel. Here's the reason I said you don't want to distort the gospel. A couple reasons. The gospel is God's glory. We see God's glory in the fact that He saved me. He saved you. While we were sinners, He died for us. He saved us and brings glory to His name by saving us. If you say, well, yeah, He saved me, but... I did most of the work. I'm a pretty good person. So I did 90% of the work. And I just needed Jesus to do a little bit. And he did that on the cross and now I'm saved. That's not true. All you, only thing you bring is your sin. And Jesus says, I'll handle it. I've got you. I'll save you. It's for God's glory. The second reason this is so important, this is the souls of humanity at stake. You go and you preach to somebody a different gospel, it won't save them. Do you see how serious this is? You tell somebody, hey, believe in Jesus and do really good works and do all these extra things and pray five times a day, whatever it may be, that's not going to save a person. 
It's Christ alone. He is completely sufficient. He's completely enough. Now, we'll get here. I know some of you are saying, well, for a Christian, shouldn't we have works that follow? Yes. When you're a Christian, your life is transformed. And out of your life flows the fruit of the Spirit. Out of your life flows, flows works of love and obedience and joy and loving your neighbor. But those don't save you. When it comes to the gospel, it's Christ alone. You bring nothing to that. In verse 8, Paul says, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. Verse 9, We have said it before, so I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul's being repetitive, right? He's want to make sure that the church understands this. If Paul, Barnabas, the church in Antioch, if angels themselves show up and preach a different gospel, if anyone preaches a different gospel, let them be accursed. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter how many degrees a person has. Doesn't matter how much experience a person has in ministry. If they are preaching a different gospel, they're disqualified. Guard this. There's one true gospel we preach. I don't care how well-liked a pastor is. Sometimes you'll, you'll be in a church and you'll say, we all love our pastor. They know everybody's name. They're so kind. They're so gracious. We love them. But if they're preaching a different gospel... Paul would have words for them and very harsh words. Why? Because a different gospel leads people to a different place. It doesn't lead them to Christ. It leads them to separation from Him. And Paul uses the word accursed twice here. So the second thing we see, first thing we saw, a distorted gospel. Second point in your bulletin, proclaimed by anyone. Doesn't matter who proclaims it. If I start to proclaim a different gospel, our elders need to look at me and say, you can't take the pulpit. You're preaching something different from what Scripture says. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much experience you're in those things. Anyone who preaches a different gospel, doesn't matter how popular they are, how charismatic they are, how many followers they have, none of that matters if you're preaching something different than the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says, But I'm afraid, this is Paul speaking, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see Paul's fear? Paul's afraid for his churches that the Lord has used him to plant, that they're going to roam to something different, that they're going to start to teach something different. He fears that. Also in verses 8 and 9, we see the third point I have. I've said, a distorted gospel proclaimed by anyone leads to destruction. Leads to destruction. I, I don't like that word. If I could, I would want to go in and edit. That word accursed, anathema, is a harsh word. If you're sitting here going, this, this doesn't feel good. 
that's, that's what Paul intended. It's not intended to make you feel good. It's a, it's a word that's very harsh. It's very difficult to hear. Anathema. Anathema, it carries this idea. It's devoted to God for destruction. One of the concepts we see in Scripture that I've always struggled with, Scripture speaks of hell, accursed, separated from God. I don't like that. My flesh doesn't like it. I want to lessen it. I want to make it not a big deal. That's what I want to do. But guess what? I'm under the authority of this word. And this word says, let them be accursed. That means that they are devoted to God for destruction. Now, can a person teach an untruth or preach a different gospel and repent of it and be saved? Absolutely. Can a person make a mistake and preach something untrue and repent and God use them? Absolutely. His grace is so merciful and so amazing, it's sufficient. But a person teaching this and believing it, they believe that Jesus isn't enough. They believe you add something to the gospel. That person, Paul says, they are accursed because Christ is enough. Jesus went to the cross for your sins. And for you to say, Jesus, good job going to the cross for my sins, but guess what? I've got something to add to that. He goes, it's finished. I did it all. You can't do anything except faith and believe and trust that I finished the work. You add nothing. You just simply believe that good news. This is severe language Paul has in this passage, okay? So if you hear a severity to it, you're hearing it correctly. Okay, it's meant to be heard that way. It's meant to be felt that way. If you're going... This message doesn't feel real good. If you're sitting here going, I know some people who don't believe the one true gospel. They've added to it. I'm concerned. I'm worried. Then you're receiving this message the way that Paul intended for it to be received. The way that God intended for it to be spoken. It's not meant to make us feel good. Not in ourselves. Look at verse 10. Paul says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Hear that. Paul's saying, am I seeking man's approval or God's approval? It's a question for us. Whose approval do you seek? Here's the honest answer. Every one of us as long as you drag around these bodies of flesh, as long as you have relationships with other people, you are going to struggle with seeking the approval of others. We have a phrase for it. We often call it people-pleasing. We want to be liked. We want to be affirmed by other people. That, that's natural. That's in our flesh. But it's also dangerous. Paul says, am I seeking the approval of man? See, nobody likes to hear what Paul just said. He's saying, Is that, am I seeking man's approval? No, I'm seeking God's approval. He 
He says, if I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know, sometimes as Christians, we say things, truths that are hard and difficult that people don't want to hear. And the only way we can be bold enough and loving enough and kind enough and gracious enough to do that is if we say, I'm seeking his approval, not man's. In fact, I love a person too much to tell them anything other than the truth. You see, one of the things all false religion teaches the same idea, basically. And here's what it is. It's up to you. You've got to work hard enough. You've got to pray enough. Pray five times a day. Go on this journey. Go knock on these doors. Whatever it may be, you've got to do something. That's the heart of false religion. It's man-centered. All false religion centers on us, on humanity. The only one true religion, Jesus did it all. God did it all. I did nothing. All false religion has it at its core. Works. Guess what works say? Be impressed with me. Look how good I am. Look at the works I do. Everybody look at it. God, look at my works. God's not impressed. Be religious. God, I pray all the time. Everybody look at how holy I am. I pray all the time. I do these things, and these things aren't bad, but I do them to say, God, look at me. God, notice me. God, notice my family. Family, notice me. Notice how great I am, God. See, the one true gospel causes us to do this. Don't look at me, God. Look at Jesus. See your son. God, when you see me, see me covered by the blood of Jesus that saves. Cover me, God. Don't look at my sin. See your perfect, holy Savior, your Son, Jesus, who's reconciled to me. We're not drawing glory to ourselves. Our lives are about see Jesus, see his glory. See how magnificent he is. See how wonderful he is. All our lives are meant to point to him. Don't be impressed with anybody. Don't be impressed with humans. Be impressed with Jesus. When you see a human that life is transformed, what you should do, you shouldn't go, wow, look at that person. You should go, praise Jesus. He changed that person. He transformed them. But this thing that Paul speaks of, seeking the approval of others, which is our fourth point in your bulletin. So I'll read the sentence again. A distorted gospel proclaimed by anyone leads to destruction and it's motivated by seeking the wrong approval. Whose approval do you live for? Do you live for the approval of your family? You should love your family. That's a good thing. Do you live for the approval of your friends? It's good to have friends. Do you live for the approval of others around you, the people you work with? Whose approval do you live for? Because Paul's saying, if I live for the approval of man, I can't fully seek Christ. I can't fully be a servant of Christ. 
When you live for the approval of man, it's hard to serve Christ. And these things are difficult. But it should be glorious and freeing. We see this all the time in life. Our teenagers, our young people. Most of us, all of us have been teenagers or those who are here are teenagers. What's the chief concern at that stage of life? Where do I fit? Where do I belong? Do people like me? Who am I? And we all can look back and go, gosh, I just wanted someone to say I was okay. I just wanted to find a place to fit. To our teens, if you are seeking the approval of other people, you will never find what your soul longs for. It's only in Christ. He loves you. He died for you. He thinks you're worthy of His death. He thinks you're worthy of going to the cross and taking your sins. He loves you. And you can wake up each day and go, I'm enough. Not because of me. I'm enough because Jesus died for me. That's glorious. I'm speaking to someone about a thing we call missionary dating this week. I don't know if you ever heard of the term missionary dating. We have a lot of missionaries in our church. That does not mean two missionaries that are dating. Here's what missionary dating is. I follow Jesus. That girl over there doesn't. But she likes me. I'm going to go date her. And I'll get her to follow Jesus. To our teens, to our youth, to our single people. It's not what God calls us to. No, we look and we say, we fall in love with the Christ we see in another person. How he's transformed their lives. I see Jesus in you. And for someone to say, hey, I'm going to date someone who doesn't follow the one true God, who doesn't trust Christ. The greatest desire of your heart is for Jesus. And that person doesn't have it. They'll never be able to point you to Christ. Because they don't know him. Now we, in our lives, we are to point people to the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. We say we don't please man. And I mention that because here's the thing. I see this often. The deeper your heartstrings get attached to a person who doesn't worship the one true God, the more easy it is for you to roam from the one true gospel. And there's no place that's more true than for a Christian unevenly yoked in dating and in marriage. And here's what I know of our church. Some of you can give testimony. You'll say, hey, I tried it. You married someone maybe who doesn't know the Lord and you know the sting. You pray God will redeem it. I pray that for you. Now our hearts are to be so in love with Christ that we would never turn to another gospel. But at the same time, don't think your flesh isn't so deceitful that you can easily be led astray. Again, this is the one book that Paul comes out with a lot of passion. When he's dealing with the church in Corinth who's struggling with spiritual gifts, Paul's gracious. When he's dealing with the church in Corinth and they're having chaos at communion, Paul is gracious. But when he's dealing with a church that preaches a different gospel, Paul says, let that be accursed. 
Doesn't matter who they are. Anyone. We hold to the one true gospel. May that be what we preach. May that be what we live. May that be where our hope is. Do you believe the good news of Jesus Christ is sufficient? Do you believe it's enough? Do you believe all you need is found in Christ? Because let me tell you, that's what the Bible teaches. That we can trust Him and He's worthy. Let's pray, church. God, I thank you for your word. I realize I'm an inadequate servant to rightly divide the word often. I need you, Lord, so if there's anything spoken that is confusing, misleading, please let that fall on deaf ears. But Lord, the word that's from you, the reality that we are saved by grace alone and through Christ alone, that he rescues us, that we needed rescuing, and there's nothing we can add to it. May that be what we remember. May that be what we walk away. Lord, as a church, may we hold firmly, firmly to the gospel. May it not be distorted in our lives. Lord, there are some here today I know who may be trusted a different gospel. Maybe they're confused. There's some who've never trusted the gospel. Lord, will you open their eyes to the reality that you are sufficient, you are enough, and may today be the day of salvation, knowing that you save. And Lord, as we sing, may we sing with great joy about a God who saves us, who transforms us from the inside out, God, that your grace is completely sufficient that even when we fail a thousand times, your mercy remains. Your grace forgives us. May we live more for your glory than for the fame and name of any man. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.